Heavenly Father, we, um, we thank you for your Shabbat. We thank you for meeting with us here today. Um, we thank you for reserving this time just to be with your children. Father, we ask that um, we ask that you would give us ears to hear your message this morning, that, um, that your words would be what shines through and would be what is sown into our hearts. Lord, we love you and we seek to honor you. Um, help us to, to stay on the path and do that. We ask these things in the name of your son, Yeshua. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Um, this week's reading, as you probably know by now, is um, a section from Numbers 22. And um, it's named after the king of the Moabites, um, Balak. And at this point in Israel's journey, uh, trekking through the wilderness, they've experienced some major loss in the form of the deaths of Miriam and Aaron. But they've also experienced some major victories in the defeat of some of the Canaanites and the Amorites and um, Og, the king of Bashan. So the news uh, about what Israel has been up to is spreading fast through the region. And it's not long before Balak, the king of Moab, hears about these things and gets really afraid. Um, the Israelites are approaching and he's concerned about what's going to happen next. So he devises this plan to try and ensure that Moab will be victorious um, before Israel even gets close enough to, to fight. And he decides to hire this uh, mercenary sorcerer, uh, this guy named Balaam. And um, he does this in the hopes that Balaam will come um, and place this curse on Israel. So that will give Moab an advantage so that they can win if there should be a, a battle. And, you know, apparently this seems like a pretty good idea to Balak. Uh, but the one thing that he didn't count on was that um, Balaam is just a man like anybody else. And, um, you know, as unscrupulous as he may be, he still cannot curse someone that God has called by his own name. So Balaam hears very clearly from God before he ever starts out on this journey that God does not want him to go and that God is not going to permit him to curse the children of Israel. But at Balaam's persistence, God finally does allow Balaam to go with the king's men, but he's told that he's only going to be able to say what God says he can say. So, uh, looking at a potential paycheck, uh, Balaam gets up the next morning and the group heads out um, to the land of Moab to face the encampment of Moses and the people. Now, along the way, Balaam starts to have some trouble with his donkey. <laughs> Now, over the last few years, I have uh, been given the, the privilege to speak on this particular Parsha several times. <laughs> and I have told this story from the perspective of Belak and Belong, and I have told this story from the perspective of the Israelites. How about the donkey? Now, something I've never done <laughs> is told this story from the perspective of the donkey. So I thought we'd do that today. 
So if you'd like to follow along um, and, and see if I make a donkey out of myself, go ahead and turn to Numbers 22, and um, we'll, we'll get started. So now, although our donkey only has like this really short cameo in this narrative, I feel like she's really the unsung hero of the whole thing. For starters, she's one of only two talking animals in the whole Bible. And when you consider that the other one is the serpent in Eden, she's kind of like in this class all to all alone to herself as, you know, the only talking animal in the Bible with good intentions. So another thing I noticed about her is that she also comes from pretty good stock in the sense that Donkeys seem to be given this place of honor in some of the greatest supporting roles in Scripture. So first, it was, it was um, this caravan of 20 donkeys pulling carts and carrying goods from Egypt back to Canaan that finally convinced Jacob that Joseph was still alive. And it was a donkey that carried young King David to the battlefield and saw him defeat Goliath. Next, it was, uh, it was also a donkey that made a three-day journey with Abraham and witnessed the binding of Isaac. And it was also a donkey that made the journey into Jerusalem with Yeshua and witnessed the binding of Messiah. This means that we have a donkey in the story of the forerunners for the following. Mashiach ben David um, with young David. Mashiach ben Yosef twice with Joseph's separation from his brothers and the binding of Isaac at the Akeda. And Mashiach himself, which is a fulfillment of the prophecy of Zechariah 9. So we have to ask ourselves, what is our donkey doing here in the sorcerer's story? And what else might she have to tell us? Donkey's story begins in chapter 22, verse 21, where we're told that she saddled up early the next morning, and she's to carry belong to a certain land that, you know, from a poor donkey's perspective, is kind of far away. Now, her directive is to stay on course, to pay attention to her master's cues and be obedient, and um, to do both of these things until they reach their destination. You know, now that I think about it, this kind of resembles the directive given to the nation of Israel. They're supposed to, um, you know, stay on the course, but they too are traveling to a land that's kind of far away to people walking on foot in the desert. And they also are supposed to pay attention to the cues of their master and be obedient until they get to their destination. So just like with Israel... Donkey's journey starts off well. You know, she's on the way, she's on course, she's plugging along, but unbeknownst to her, an adversary is waiting just ahead. Verse 22 says, And God's anger was kindled because he went, and the angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary against him. Now he was riding upon his donkey. Now, I'm making this PG version for the censors, so we've substituted another word for donkey. I mean, I've substituted donkey for another word, so if you're following along in your Bible and notice the difference. That's for all the kids at home. So, 
Um, now he's riding on his donkey and he has two servants with him. The word here for adversary is Satan, which is the word for Satan, the great adversary. God has commissioned his angel to oppose Balaam's way in the same sense of Satan opposing the course of Israel. Numbers uh, 22, 23 says, And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, and his sword, or his, his cherub, is drawn in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. And Balaam smote the donkey to turn her into the way. Poor donkey. She's just trying to do her best to get where she's supposed to go, where Balaam thinks he's supposed to go. But an adversary has been placed in the path and um, for the purpose of, of, of routing them. And apparently nobody else but her can see it. Now, at this point in Israel's story, the incident with the 12 spies has already occurred in Numbers 13. And Moses has just struck the rock twice after God said, speak to it. So neither he nor the generation who came out of Egypt are going to be entering the promised land. But it seems as if they're still trying to get in anyway. Because just prior to the introduction of Balak and the Moabites, we read about the children of Israel requesting passage through not one, but two enemy territories so that they can travel the most direct route into the land of Canaan. Okay, so after being wounded by Balaam, the donkey is turned back onto the way and the trek continues. Verse 24 says, But the angel of the Lord stood in a path in the vineyards, a wall being on this side and a wall on that side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pressed herself and crushed herself, basically is what the, words, uh, the word says there, into the wall. And she crushed Balaam's foot against the wall, and he, and he smote her again. Now, when I first got to this part, something started to eat away at the back of my mind. And it wasn't just age or having children. It was a, a small thought. That, um, first, you know, we see that she's walking along the way or the road. Now, this is the Hebrew word derek. And she turned aside, which is the Hebrew word natah, into the field. Next, she's walking through vineyards and comes to this choke point where she has to pass through an opening in the wall. So she presses herself real tight up against the wall and crushes herself and uh, Balaam's foot against the wall. And that word for crush there is lachatz, which means to oppress or afflict. And she crushes Balaam's foot, which is the Hebrew word regel. Now something's familiar here. Something eerily similar to Israel's journey. If you look back at Numbers 20, verse 14, at the account of Israel seeking passage through the land of Edom, this is what we read. And Moses sent messengers from Kadesh in unto the king of Eden. Thus says thy brother Israel, you know all the travail that has befallen us, how our fathers went down to Egypt and and we have dwelt in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians vexed us and our fathers. And when we cried unto the Lord, he heard our voice, and he sent an angel, and has brought us forth out of Egypt. And behold, we are in Kadesh, a city in the uttermost part of your border. Now, Kadesh is the same as 
Kadesh Barnea, which is just two names from the same place. And that's made of three Hebrew words. The first word is Kadesh, which most literally translates to sanctuary, but can also mean a dedicated or sacred person. Okay, Barnea is two words, Bar, which means field, and Nua, which means wander or remove or scatter. Now that's interesting because Israel is also a dedicated people. They are sacred and holy to God, and they are currently wandering in the wilderness. And our donkey has literally just wandered out into a field. So uh, chapter 20, verse 17, what does Israel say next? They say, let us pass over, or let us pass, which is the Hebrew word abar, which is where we get Hebrew from, because it means to cross over. Let us pass, I pray thee, through your land. We will not pass through the fields or through the vineyards. Neither will we drink of the water of the wells. We will go by the king's highway, or Derek. We will not turn to the right hand or to the left until we've passed your borders. Hmm. Israel says that they will not pass through the fields, the vineyards, but they'll stay on the king's way, or road. It's the same word there for the road that Balaam and the donkey are traveling on. That's ex exactly what our extremely perceptive donkey is trying to do. Stay on the way, on the, the derrick, the road. But we've just seen her turn out of the way to avoid the adversary that God's placed on Balaam's path. Into the two places that Israel said they would not pass into. The field and the vineyard. Next in verse, uh, chapter 22, verse 26, it says, And the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she fell down under Balaam. And, and Balaam's anger was kindled, and he smote the donkey with a staff. So there doesn't appear to be any mention of water or a well here, which is the, the third thing that we heard in Israel's story. But let's take a closer look at this passage and see what we can find. So after the encounter in the vineyard where Balaam gets his foot or his regale crushed, the angel goes further on and stands in this narrow place, which is the Hebrew word for tsar. Um, and it means a tight place, usually figuratively, that is trouble, small, narrow, sorrow, straight, tribulation, trouble. This is the same word that we find in Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7, which says, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble. But he shall be saved out of it, for it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off his neck, and will burst thy bonds, and strangers shall no more serve themselves of him. But they shall serve the Lord their God, and David their king, whom I shall raise up unto them. In this passage in Jeremiah, where we find this same word for Tsar, for the time of Jacob's trouble, we see God referring to the nation's salvation as an animal being unyoked and having their bonds burst from off them, saying the strangers will no more serve themselves of them. 
In other words, they won't serve foreigners anymore. Now, that's curious too, because look at what Balaam's name means. Baal Am, not of the people. Foreigner. The angel of the Lord, Lord went further ahead and stood in the place of trouble, where there was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. Well, that's familiar too. Look back at our story of Israel. The last part of verse 17 says, We will go by the king's highway. We will not turn to the right hand nor to the left until we've passed thy borders. Verse 18, And Edom said unto him, You shall not pass by me, lest I come out against you with a sword. Now, listen to what they say next. The children of Israel reply with, We'll go by the highway. The word for highway is masila, which means a thoroughfare um, as, as something that's turnpiked, literally or figuratively, and specifically it means a viaduct. Uh, it can mean also a staircase, so a causeway, a course, or a path. In other words, it's used to indicate a narrow channel, a tight place that presses in. And then they say, if I and my animals drink of your water, then I will pay for it. I will only, without doing anything else, go through on my feet. Well, here's our third place of opposition. It's that tight or narrow place. Quite literally, it's an aqueduct that contains water. And we see here the mention of only going through on their feet, which is the word regel, which we saw Balaam's regel, or foot crushed earlier, against the wall. Now, the phrase, I will only without doing anything else, it's a little strange. The actual Hebrew there. Uh, is three words, rock and devar. Rock means merely or nothing but. Ain means to be nothing or not exist or without. And the, the word devar literally means a word. So most literally translated, those three words say merely without a word. But this also does not come true in the story with our donkey. She did, she did pass over the field, and she did press into the vineyard, and she did not go through without a word being spoken, nor did Balaam make it through on both feet. So Edom opposes Israel, and Edom said unto him, You shall not pass by me, lest I come out against you with a sword. That word for sword is cherub. It's the same sword the angel is holding in the path, opposing Balaam. And he said, You shall not go through. And Edom came out against him with much people and with a strong hand, just like Balaam's heavy-handed blows. Verse 21, thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through his border, wherefore Israel turned away from him. It's the same word for turned out of the way. Now, the story of the attempts of Israel to cross into the land isn't the only story in Torah that parallels this story of Balaam and his donkey. When we get to Balaam's blessings, we begin to see another curious correlation take place. And it's that this, this narrative of these, of these prophecies that Balaam is giving 
they have echoes and repetition from the story of the binding of Isaac. In fact, the sages actually make several parallels between Abraham and Balaam, seeming to put them in this juxtaposition to one another. Now, one of the previous messages I did on Balak actually talks about this very thing and details it, and you can find that on the website. Shameless plug here. <laughs> but I want to focus on the aspects of Abraham that relate to the Akedah and its parallel to Balaam's prophecies. Oddly enough, when you read the words of the angel to Abraham, right after he stops him from sacrificing Isaac, you see that Abraham is given three distinct blessings at that time. One, that his progeny will be increased, um, so his seed will be as numerous as the sand of the sea. The second blessing is that his lineage would come and conquer the promised land and inhabit it as their own. The promise is that God is going to give the land to Abraham's seed. The third promise is that through Abraham's seed, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Now, if we go forward and we look um, at, at the story that we're, look, that we're investigating today, we have um, Balaam, and he's been hired to come and curse the people of Israel. And he's taken to three distinct mountaintops from which to view the nation of Abraham's descendants. To find the correlation here between these prophecies and the promises given to Abraham, we need to look at the last lines of each of, of Balaam's three prophecies. The first prophecy is contained, uh, the line we're going to look at is contained in chapter 23, verse 10. And it says, who can count the dust of Jacob and the number of the fourth part of Israel? So basically he's saying, look how many there are. They're as the dust of the earth. This is Abraham's promise of many descendants. This is the first promise that he received after the binding of Isaac. Balaam's second prophecy is in chapter 23, verse 24. And the line that we need to look at says, Behold, the people shall rise up as a great lion and lift up himself as a young lion. He shall not lie down until he eat of the prey and drink the blood of the slain. They will not rest until they have consumed their enemies from off the land and taken it as their own. This is the promise of the land. Okay, so at this point, we've got one and two. Three is next. So we go to the third one. And it's in 24.9. It says, Blessed is he that blesses you, and cursed is he that curses you. Okay, well, that's not exactly like the third thing the angel said to Abraham. I mean, it's similar, um, but in the original example, the angel at the Akedah said, Abraham's, uh, through Abraham's seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Okay, so similar, but not the same. But what's this doing here? Why, why would Torah set us up with one and two being exactly the same, and then three, we've kind of got this little variation? And the thing about it is, it's very similar, but, but the actual quote of those who bless you will be blessed and those who curse you will be cursed, it comes from another Parsha altogether. Now, it was a message that was said to Abraham, given to him by God, but we find that 
way at the beginning of Abraham's story in Parsha Lech where God says, get up and go. I'm about to take you into a new, into a new place. So why is Torah messing up the pattern? <laughs> well, maybe the answer is Torah isn't messing up the pattern. Maybe God is saying, listen, you know, you expected to hear the third promise from the Akedah, and that's exactly what I gave you. These aren't two separate things. They're actually the same thing. God is showing us a, another way of looking at it to describe for us, to tell us how this promise will come to pass. How is it that, that through Abraham's seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed? It's telling us all the nations who bless Israel, that bless Abraham's seed, will be blessed. That's how they're going to get their blessing. Now, look at what Messiah says in Matthew 25, 31 through 40. It says, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungered and, and, and fed you, or thirsty and gave you drink? When did we see you as a stranger and, and take you in? Or when were you naked where we clothed you? Or, or when were you sick or in prison that we came to you? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these my brothers, you have done it unto me. Who are his brothers? Israel and Judah are his brothers. The nations will be judged and blessed based off of how they treated Israel. Those who bless you will be blessed, and those who curse you will be cursed. And through Abraham's seed, the nations of the earth will be blessed. Now, we also know that Messiah is the ultimate fulfillment of this seed of blessing that was promised to, to Abraham. That through the seed of Mashiach, that all the, all the nations of the world would be blessed as well. And Balaam's prophecies are all about the coming Messiah. They, uh, they echo um, moments of his first and second coming and the final redemption. Which is amazing that this Gentile sorcerer is allowed to be the one who gives some of the most detailed prophecies about the coming Messiah. But regardless of this, God allows Balaam's eyes to be opened. And he sees not only Israel's present, um, but her past and future as well. You see, the parallel journey with the donkey 
to what Israel has just faced is God's way of giving Balaam an object lesson about the people that he's headed to try and curse. As well as giving him insight into Israel's future. Balaam doesn't just look out over Israel and see their present encampment. The text says that at the time of the third prophecy, Balaam is at the top of the mountain, looking down over the valley where Israel is encamped, and that he looks up and sees them. Balaam is looking up into heaven, and God is showing him a vision of future Israel. Balaam tells us that he's seen a vision. And what is it that he says that he sees? He says he sees Israel, and the, the text says, abiding in his tents according to their tribes. Now, the word there for tribes is shebets. It's the same word um, that can be used to denote a branch or a scepter or a staff. The, the actual words for in his tents is not in the text. In the Hebrew. It's added in to try to help you understand. That's why it's in italics in most of your Bibles. So what he really sees is, uh, he says, Israel dwelling within her tribes or with her branch. With the branch. Now this is the same word used in the third instance with Balaam's donkey. The text goes out of its way to tell us that that time Balaam hit her with his staff. The staff or the branch of the, of the goyim, the people that are not the people of God, the Balaams. They strike at Israel with their branch, their false Messiah. But Balaam sees that in the end Israel is dwelling safely with the true branch the star that will rise out of Jacob as the lion who will destroy the prey. This is why Balaam declares right after that the Matovu, How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, and your Mishkan, O Israel, your tabernacles. That's what that word dwelling place is, this Mishkan. And he says it plural, Mishkans. Balaam is seeing through all of Israel's future through, through both temples into the messianic era into the time that Messiah will be the temple in the heavenly kingdom now all through these prophecies Balaam places Jacob next to Israel as if they're two separate things in every single one of the prophecies he goes through Jacob this Israel this, Jacob this, Israel this but he does it in a way that seems like they're two completely separate entities but they're not. We, we know that Jacob is Israel. Balaam sees their past and present, and he calls it Jacob. And he sees their future, and he calls it Israel. So how does Jacob, the, the supplanter, the heel catcher, the, the invader and the land stealer, as Balak sees him, how does he go from being Yaakov to Israel? Well, how does Jacob make this transition in the real life story? He contends with the angel of the Lord. 
He wrestles with him and he perseveres and he receives his blessing. But we know that he's not just wrestling with an angel in that account. He's wrestling with Mashiach. And what is true for our donkey is true for Israel as well. She's not contending with the adversary, with Satan. She's contending. She is wrestling with the angel of the Lord. She's wrestling with Messiah. Mashiach ben Yosef, they don't recognize her, him, I'm sorry, they don't recognize him. Look at the Hebrew of the third encounter that the donkey has with the angel. The Hebrew sentence of, of that opening line that says, the angel of the Lord went on further and stood in, the, in a tight place. It says, by Yosef Malach Adonai Avor, by Ya'amod Bemakom Sar. It says, by Yosef. That's, that's Yosef. That's Joseph's name. But because of the way the word is, is, it's not really Joseph's name in the text. It's, he went on further. But because of the way it's conjugated in this text, it, it literally sounds like you're saying, and Joseph. The word for angel is malach, which is almost identical to melech, which means king. So it, the text is saying, and, the, and Joseph the king of Adonai went on further to the place of trouble. King Joseph went further ahead and stood in this place of trouble, in the time and place of Jacob's trouble. And Israel, the donkey, arrives there in the time of Jacob's trouble and can no longer turn to the right or to the left to try to avoid him. She's come to a choke point. And weighed down by the burden of the Goyim, of, of Balaam, the people that are not gods, this, this Jacob, who's finally reached the end of his contending with the angel of the Lord, crouches down. Or kneels down before the king. Then after one final strike by the branch of the Gentiles, these people who are not God's people, God finally opens the eyes of Balaam and he too sees this mighty angel with a great sword standing before him. And he also sees the error of his ways. And God defends Israel. And God tells the Goyim, if it had not had been for her turning out of the way these three times, leaving the straight path, I'd have killed you dead with this sword and saved her alive. <coughs> to put it another way, blindness in part has happened to Israel for our sake. For if their casting away brought salvation to the world, what will be their restoration except life from the dead? And Balaam knows this. He sees this, which is why he says in his prophecy, May I die the death of the righteous. May my latter end be like his. And this is my prayer for all of us. That we too would die the death of the righteous. 
And that our latter end would be like Israel's. That we would not be wise in our own conceit, lest we be cut off as wild branches. But that we would bless Israel. And that we would cry out for the day when she no longer sees Yeshua as her adversary. But sees him as the angel of the Lord and says, Baruch Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for your redemption of, of not only Israel, Father, but, but of the nations that are not called by your name that, that have been so incorrect in their treatment of your people, Israel. Father, I thank you that your word holds the promise that one day all of Israel will say, Baruch HaVavashem Adonai. Father, I, I, with a heavy heart, I repent on behalf of what the Gentile nations have done to your people that you've called out. And that we have we have seen them as no more than something to place a burden on um, instead of seeing them as your firstborn and, and the nation that was meant to carry the light of Messiah. Father, help us to be mindful at all times that we are just sojourners in this world. This is not our home. This, this isn't where we belong, that we are citizens of your kingdom, uh, of um, heaven, and that this is all temporary. That we have a mission while we're here. We're not supposed to be, you know, taking in all the sights behind enemy territory. We're soldiers. We're supposed to be actively seeking out those that we can rescue and being about the king's business. Help us to, to be mindful of that. And Father, I ask that you would open our eyes the way that you opened Balaam's eyes. Not, not in the future at the time of trouble, Father, 